hot. Um, but that is a good thing, and uh, looking forward to being in the Word together tonight. James chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse number 16, and we're going to read to the end of the chapter. Once you found it, would you stand out of respect for the reading of God's Word tonight? And I want to consider this thought. Effectually, fervently praying for people. Effectually, fervently praying for people. James chapter 5, beginning in verse number 16. The Bible says, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another that you may be healed. Read the next part with me, church. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We did that last week. Verse 17, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. This is where we're going to be tonight, verse 19 and verse 20. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Father, tonight I pray as we look into your word, help us, I pray, to come with an open heart. Help us not to be as, Lord, the Pharisees and so many, Father, who, who though having eyes they don't see and who having ears they don't hear. Lord, tonight I pray, don't let the busyness of this life crowd out what you want to do. Lord, don't let the burdens of this life crowd out what you want to do. But God, I pray that you would give a special attention tonight to your word. That we might hear and heed all that your spirit would have for us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So the theme of the book of James, summarized in two words. We've done it enough. You might know what it is. The theme of the book of James in two words is simply grow up. Grow up. And as we must mature in our physical bodies, so we must mature in our beliefs. Amen? As we must mature in our physical abilities, that which we are able to do, that which we are able to handle, we must also mature in our spiritual abilities. The problem is, is that our culture, and sadly even the church at large, is suffering from a pandemic of people who just don't want to grow up. There is so few in both Physically speaking and spiritually speaking, there are so few out there today who are able and willing to bear the burden of adult life and responsibility. Everybody just wants it handed to them for free. We have, if you will, a Peter pandemic of Christians who don't want to get off the bottle of the sincere milk of the word. And the promise, problem is, is that they are sucking the life out of our churches. Tonight, I want to specifically look at an aspect of growing up. When we were young, we minded childish things. My children like Legos, and the girls like dolls, and the boy likes video games, uh, finger paints, things like that. But when you and I grow up, hopefully things change, Amen. Though I do know too many adult men who still have video games and Legos on the Christmas list. That is another sermon for another time. Maybe a sermon on biblical masculinity. Who knows? 
Because hopefully when we grow up, things change. Amen? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse number 11, When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Same should be true of our prayer lives. That we ought to be able to grow up in our prayer lives. But let me ask you tonight, is it? Do we pray more or less than we used to? Do we pray for the same things that we used to? Most of us, our prayer lives haven't really changed all that much, probably. Well, church, I want to challenge us tonight that it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up in how we pray. And before you think tonight, well, I'm just a teenager, the Bible also says, let no man despise thy youth. And so, whether you're 17 or 107, it's time to grow up. Amen? And so we're going to look tonight specifically how we can grow up in our prayer lives for God's glory. Effectually, fervently praying for people. So, I will warn you, this is going to kind of be a meteor thing we're going to go over. And buckle up, open up, let's go. Verse number 19, the Bible says, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth... And one, convert him. Pastor James starts tonight as he moves to conclude the book by talking about spiritual brokenness. Spiritual brokenness. He says, if any of you do err from the truth. Now, I think it's important for us to remember that James is speaking within the context of the church. He addresses here brethren in verse number 19. And this is Pastor James writing to his people. And so Pastor James is speaking within the context of the church, and he's speaking about those who drift into sin. The word err there, and err from the truth, literally means to wander or to drift. So these are people who are drifting away from Christ. Now, a couple of caveats here. Number one, this is not someone who simply has different preferences than you do. Okay? Sometimes we feel like our preferences are the standard. Our preferences are not the standard. God's word is the standard. And believers can have different preferences and it can be okay. Amen? Amen. This is not someone who has different preferences than us. Also, this is not someone who feels called to a different gospel-preaching church than us. The Harvest Baptist Temple is not the only church on the Lord's earth who still preaches the gospel. And so sometimes God does call people and lead people to other gospel-preaching ministries. And if the Holy Spirit does that, hear me, that is not what this is talking about. All right? Sometimes we have... We, we make ourselves and our church, and we're, it's the, but we are not the standard, amen? God's word is the standard. What we have here is we have someone who is drifting from the truth, who is backsliding into sin. It's easy, church, isn't it, to drift from the truth? It's easy to backslide. James points out in his book, The Perils of Pain, that we have through trials. Sometimes trials cause us to doubt God, don't they? To doubt God's goodness, to doubt God's power, to doubt God's providential working in our lives. Sometimes trials uh, cause us to have pity parties. We have the perils of trials. We have the perils of persecution. I'll tell you, sometimes harder than even both of those are the perils of prosperity. 
Because when we have what we need, guess what? We trust ourselves and our bank accounts and our minds and our jobs and our cars. And, our, and we cease to trust the Lord like we should. Sometimes the perils of prosperity cause us to backslide from God more than anything else. So we have somebody here who is drifting from the truth. They are backsliding into sin. That's why Hebrews admonishes us in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 1 that we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Now, I love the ocean. I'm a salt and sand kind of guy. But the one thing about the ocean, the one thing about currents, is they are constantly pulling you. And the thing is, is if you, live, if you are careless at all, what happens? You get pulled by the current and you drift. If you're going to stay where you ought to in the ocean, it's going to take some diligence and it's going to take some determination. It's going to take some vigilance and some vigor. I've got to put some effort into being where I need to be. Because if I'm not putting effort into being where I need to be, I'm very quickly going to find myself where I don't want to be. Drifting is subtle. It's a gradual process. It's like the illustration of the famous violinist who was asked about their practice schedule, and they said that they practice 8 to 12 hours a day. Wow, the person said. What would happen if you didn't do that? The violinist responded, well, after the first day, only I would notice. After the second day, the conductor would probably notice. By the third day, most of the orchestra would notice, and by the fourth day, everyone would notice. It doesn't happen all at once. But when we drift, when we drift, we set ourselves up in danger. We set ourselves up for destruction. And the trouble is, church, it's easy to deceive outwardly even when we're drifting inwardly. I look at the crowd tonight and you know what? I can't see where your heart is with God. I see your person in the pew, but I cannot see your position before God. And it's easy It's easy to deceive outwardly, even when drifting inwardly, especially for a little while. Someone once said that you can deceive all of the people some of the time, and you can deceive some of the people all the time, but you can't deceive God ever. And so we have the spiritual brokenness of those who err from the truth, those who who drift into sin. Can I offer another thought tonight? It's not just those who drift into sin. It's those who are still dead in their sins. You know, we're admonished throughout the New Testament about those who are among us, who are but not, who, but who are not really of us. They come and they sit among us every week, but they are not truly members of the family of God. Jesus gave parables like the parable of the wheat and the tares. You know, the thing about wheat and tares is they look alike. As they grow, you cannot tell the difference. But you know what? You can tell by their fruit you shall know them. And you can tell in the end. But the reality is, is that in good churches all across America, and Harvest is no exception, there are people who sit in pews every week who if they died tonight, they would go for, to a devil's hell for all eternity. Jesus gave another parable of the sower and the seed. And and we have, of course, the sower that sowed and and the wayside and the birds came and ate it up right away. And that was an easy one, right? But then you have the stony soil. 
And you have the thorny soil. Those who, who, who maybe receive the word with gladness, but, but nothing ever becomes of it. And they hear it, and, and we think outwardly there's something there, but there is nothing there that yields any sort of fruit. I think about what Paul wrote. Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, um, and verse I'm sorry, not, not there quite yet. I think of what John wrote in his gospel, first John, or his epistle, 1 John 2 and verse number 19. John wrote, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. I think of what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verses 22 and 23. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not? And they list these things, prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works. And I brought a meal to Sherathon, and I answered phones at Sherathon, and I invited my neighbor to friend day, and I, and I came to church, and I put it in the offering plate, and, and maybe, maybe I even I helped out at missions conference, and I did all these things, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And church, I don't think we should ever be so deceived as to not think that there may even be many who attend here at Harvest who are unsaved. Who are unsaved. They are not born again. The problem is, it's not being in church that matters, it's being in Christ. And there is a huge difference between the two. There's spiritual brokenness all around us. We have those who drift into sin among us. We have those who are dead in their sin among us. But I think as well, by way of application, we can even broaden this to the community. The reality is most people you meet in this life are not headed to heaven. Jesus summed it up this way in Matthew 7 and verse number 13. He said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And what's that word? And many there be which go in thereat. The fact is, the vast majority of people you and I meet in this life are not on their way to heaven. The vast majority of people who live around you, if they die tonight, they go to hell. The vast majority of people you work with, if they died tonight, they go to hell. The vast majority of the, the, the people who play uh, on your kid's club team, if they died tonight, they go to hell. The vast majority of the people who wait on you in the restaurant and ring you up at Walmart and w- ring you up at the grocery store, if they died tonight, they go to hell. Most people are spiritually broken. And that ought to bother us. People drifting into sin around us. People dead in their sins among us. The lost and dying world that we can't escape. That ought to bother us, church. May we never become so insulated that it doesn't bother us anymore. That ought to burden us. James here says, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him. Let me draw an application here that the spiritual brokenness around us ought to create specific burdens within us. 
that the spiritual brokenness around us ought to create specific burdens within us. Uh, What are we called to do? Well, I, I believe with all my heart that we as God's people are called to intercede. The whole context of James chapter 5 is the context of prayer and praying for one another. You go back to verse number 13. If any of you among, if any, is any among you afflicted, let him pray. Is any merry, let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Verse 16, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Then we have the prayer of Elias in verses 17 and 18. The whole context is that of prayer and praying for one another. In other words, church, here, Pastor James makes a very specific application that we ought to be burdened for the spiritual brokenness that we see around us, and it ought to lead us to pray for one another. I'm afraid in 2022, the church of Jesus Christ fails to appreciate the devastation that spiritual brokenness brings. Oh, we're burdened when somebody gets the terminal cancer diagnosis. That burdens us. We're burdened when there is some sort of physical tra- tragedy, a, a car accident or, a, or, or, or uh, something that happens, a tornado or a hurricane. Those things bother us. We're burdened, especially so when they happen to people we know or people around us. But here's the thing. The physical needs we face in this life will never be greater than the spiritual. I don't care what the diagnosis is. The spiritual need is not greater. The physical need is not greater than the spiritual. Can I go so far as to even say the emotional is not greater than the spiritual? And church, we ought to be burdened about the fact that people all around us are far from God. We ought to be burdened about that fact. The sad thing is, even in churches like ours, we do more talking about people who are far from God. We, we do more talking about them to one another than we do talking about them to God above. That's a problem. That's a problem. That is a huge, huge problem. The book of James, lest we think in this, <laughs> at this point that this is something that's good for the pastors to do. It is something good for the pastors to do. But I'll remind you, even as we develop this point out, that this book is not written to a pastor. It is written by a pastor to his people. And so this is something that all of us as believers should be doing, those who are mature in the faith. And if I could get even more specific tonight, it isn't spiritual brokenness that should burden us. Oh, we'll do that from time to time. We'll look at the state of the world and how wicked the world is and how depraved the world is. And I can't believe they're doing that out there. And I can't believe this is going on. Or did you see what happened in that city or this city? It's not the general spiritual brokenness that ought to burden us. It is the spiritually broken. That ought 
to burden us. That name and that need. Can I ask you tonight, who is it in your life that is spiritually broken? Who is it? What's their name? What's the need? I feel like God has prepared us for this message tonight. This afternoon I had prayer with a church member and broken over a son and an addiction in their life that is destroying them. Had prayer tonight with a church member for family members who are far from God. I, I, I feel like God is prepared us for this tonight. Who is it in your life? Who is the name? What's the need? Here's the thing. It won't be profitable until it's personal. Because fervency, as we've talked about, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That fervency is directly related to the burden we carry. Now, I don't have boxes of Bibles to carry this week. But I can lift this and there's zero fervency. Well, that's not too bad. I won't try to lift more than that. You get the idea. If it's a real burden, there's going to be some fervency behind it. We're called to intercede. Who is it? When's the last time you called their name to God in prayer? Can we go a little farther tonight? I don't just believe we're called to intercede. I believe we're called to intervene. James says, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him. In other words, James picks a, paints a picture of a church member who converts another. Now, convert here simply means to turn. And so it's not necessarily in the sense of salvation. Uh, Jesus talked to Peter about when he was converted. Now, Jesus, Peter had already confessed that Jesus was the Christ, but this was Peter was going to stray, and Peter was going to have to turn back to God. And so we have a picture of a church member who goes out and seeks to win the church member to turn back to Christ. We are called not just to intercede, we are called to intervene. To convert again means to turn. In other words, our job is to help people turn to God. Now, let me give you a couple caveats here. This is different from when we suffer personal wrong. This is not when... Brother Charles punches me in the face. That is a personal wrong, and that is different. If Brother Charles does that, first we fire him. (laughs) Then we handle it from there. No, what do we do? Matthew 18, I go to him in private, right? If he won't hear me, then I bring another one or two with me. If he still won't hear me, then we go before the church. So this is not talking about a personal matter. This is different. This is also not talking, hear me, about being the sin police. Heaven help us. All right? You are not called to be the Holy Spirit in somebody else's life. That is not our calling. 
But this is being burdened enough for those who are far from God to reach out to them in the love of God. This is reaching out to them as a brother. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse number 14. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. You see, it means caring enough to reach out like a brother. It means loving them enough to reach out as a friend. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse number 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. It means reaching out to them in meekness and humility. Galatians 6 and verse number 1 reminds us, Brother, and if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So many people are far from God. And church, we need to stop talking about them and start reaching out to them. Those who are drifting into sin, intercede, intervene. Those who are still dead in their sin, intercede, intervene. Can I ask you, who is it in your life? It's not going to be profitable until it's personal. Who is it in your life? I think about the example of the Lord Jesus who was willing to come. I think about the example of the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 15. Notice what he said. He said, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. I think it's important to stop and note, just because you love them and reach out in love, you reach out as a brother, you reach out as a friend, you reach out in meekness and humility, guess what? They still might not want to hear what you have to say. What should our response be? Well, fine then. Be that way. Stay in your sin. I don't care. Is that what our attitude should be? Paul said, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Boy, I tell you, that verse right there, wouldn't that be a beautiful one just to pray for the invitation tonight? Can I point out as well before we move on that we need to be open to receiving counsel and correction in our own life. Thank God for the people he places in our lives who love us enough to pull us aside and say, look, bucko, you need to rethink some things. Now, what is, does my flesh like that? No. My flesh has never once said, boy, I am so happy we had that conversation. No, my flesh always acts defensively. My flesh always deflects. My flesh always has a reason. It excuses what we've done and why we've done it. My flesh, my flesh is always ready to give an answer. 
But hear me, we need to be spiritual enough to receive counsel and correction when God is gracious enough to send it our way. As we consider effectually, fervently praying for people, we've got to remember, number one, spiritual brokenness. There's spiritual brokenness all around us. The spiritual brokenness ought to produce within us specific burdens. What's their name? What's their name? What's the need? Because the Bible still says that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so when we take note of this spiritual brokenness and we receive that specific burden and we intercede and we intervene, you know what? We can believe and trust that God is going to yield some significant blessings from that. Verse number 20, it says, Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way doth save a soul from death. And shall hide a multitude of sins. You know what the significant blessing is? I think we can point out first and foremost, it prevents more pain. Saving the soul from death, it shows us the destruction that sin brings to the whole person. And all throughout James's book, James has alluded and directly taught about the destruction of sin. You go back in verses 15 and 16 and James talks about the prayer of faith saving the sick and if he's been if he's committed sins and so we have a sickness that's directly tied to sins that have been committed. Verse 16, confess your faults one for another. Why? Because sin brings destruction. The beginning of the book, James 1, in verse number 15, what does it say? When lust, when it's conceived, brings forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, sin affects the entire person. Sin brings death. It brings destruction. It brings despair. The Bible is very clear when it comes to sin in the believer's life that God will discipline, chastise the believer. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6 tell us as much. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse number 5. Evan will get it there on the screen for us. The Bible says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Now, it goes on to say in verse 11, No chastening for the present seemeth unto you joyous. There is pain that comes with punishment. I've become a little more tender hearted. But I used to think, this was before, Ken, I was a little more experienced, that as, as a parent, you know, you, you, you apply the rod of correction to the seed of instruction. That is, that is the biblical way to do things, amen? And you know, you've heard the saying, it, it's going to hurt me more than it hurts you. My thought was, you ain't doing it right then. <laughs> I, I mean, really, that, that should not be an issue. And I've grown a little softer in my old age, and it does pain my heart. But no chastening is joyous, amen? The Bible goes further to say that God will take the believer home if he feels it so necessary. 
1 John chapter 5 and verse 16 directly refers to this, that there is a sin unto death. There is a sin unto death. And here's the thing, church. When we, the Bible says in verse 20 of James 5, when we convert the sinner, when we turn the sinner from the error of his way back to Christ, we save that life from so much pain, from so much sorrow, from so much destruction. The significant blessing of it prevents more pain. But it also produces more peace. And shall hide a multitude of sins. You know, one of the great spiritual blessings of help one turn to God. The spiritual blessings that come are, are, are far greater than come in other arenas. Again, we referenced earlier that the physical is not greater than the spiritual. And, and I'm sorry that Aunt Sally has an ingrown toenail. And I think it's perfectly right to pray for Aunt Sally and her ingrown toenail. But here's the thing, if our prayer list is always and only ingrown toenails, I think we're missing the boat. Because the physical is not greater than the spiritual. The emotional is not greater than the spiritual. And this thing of as we pray for people and we help people and we help people to turn back to God, we see that their sins are covered. There is a forgiveness that allows for there to be peace in their life once more. Hey, here's the thing. There's nothing like being right with God. There is nothing like being right with God. Jesus said in John 10, 10 that he had come to give life and that we might have life more abundantly because there is nothing like being right with God. And here's what happens. When the Lord uses us to help turn men and women, boys and girls back to him, do you know what we do? We not only prevent more pain, we produce more peace. Peace in the heart. You know what? No matter what's going on in the body, there's nothing like having peace in the heart. Nothing like being able to pillow your head at night and know that your soul is right with God. It produces peace in the heart. It produces peace in the home. It produces peace in the church. It produces peace that resounds and rolls and grows, it produces peace. Boy, what a blessing that is. You think about that. When you turn a sinner, how many of you, how many of you, how many of you have ever laid awake at night worried about somebody you love? Yeah. You think about not just the peace that it would provide to their heart. What if God would allow you to reach out and help turn somebody back to God? You think of the mama, the daddy, the grandma, the grandpa that now has peace in their heart because they know that that one is right with God again. See, it prevents more pain, but it produces more peace. Church, I'm concerned sometimes that our prayer lists are so physical and so shallow. In this age, hear me, God has not declared war on this world. Not yet. He will. He will. He will. But for the moment, he's declared peace. Peace for all who will come. Whosoever will may come. And church, I think we've got to get serious.
about praying some grown-up prayers. Physical needs are fine. And church, we need to pray for one another. But church, if all we ever do is pray for the physical, we have missed the boat. How sad is it that churches spend 95% of their time praying to keep saints from going to heaven instead of praying to keep sinners from going to hell? Can I ask you tonight, what's on your prayer list? Can I ask you tonight, who's on your prayer list? You know, we got friend day coming up. Maybe, even tonight, God would lay some people on our heart that we could fervently begin to pray for. People who are, maybe they're drifting into sin. Maybe they're still dead in their sin. I want to challenge you that maybe tonight, if you're not comfortable praying for others who are far from God, could I ask, is it maybe because you're far from God yourself? You know, there is that twinge where I don't like to pray for other people's sins if I haven't dealt with mine, right? The Spirit of God doesn't really want me to be a hypocrite, amen? In church tonight, James challenges us to grow up. And specifically here, to grow up in our prayers that we might effectually, fervently pray people as we look to a time of invitation tonight our musician is coming and I'm closing I wonder tonight if you might ask the Lord to lay a soul to lay three souls upon your heart I wonder tonight if you might take those names that you might write them down that you might call those names out to God, the name and the need, that you might pray for those people every day until God answers. I wonder if there might not be a friend or two in the church here tonight that you could enlist to pray with you. You know, the Bible does say something about two or three who who agree in prayer on some things. And so I think we'd be wise to simply take Jesus at his word. And so maybe there'd be some friends that we could could come together and we we could lift up this name together. Enough with the general brokenness over spiritual things. Church, let's be specific in what we want to see God do. Effectually fervently praying for people. Father, I pray that in these moments you would have your will and you'd have your way. Lord, that even now you would indeed lay some soul upon our heart.